Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you in your journey with Christ. For additional resources, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome. We're glad you're here today. As Luke began today, he said that word that is so true. There are two kinds of wor- two kinds of hearts, Jesus says. There are there are troubling troubled hearts and there are trusting hearts. Physically, there are slow hearts, there are fibrillating hearts, there are enlarged hearts, there are weak hearts, there are leaking hearts and all other kinds of hearts. But according to our text today in John chapter 14, there are troubled hearts and trust hearts, trusting hearts in a spiritual sense. And I cannot think that there's a person here today that is not to some degree uh, acquainted with a troubled heart. Now, maybe today when you came in, you brought with you your troubled hearts, and maybe whatever troubles you has been troubling you for quite a, quite a long time. Or maybe it's something that cropped up this weekend or during the week this week in any, any dimension of life. Uh, sometimes uh, people are troubled by grief or for unexpected uh, circumstances. Sometimes we're troubled by our kids or we're troubled by the, the atmosphere of the world or confusion or decisions or, or a past decision that hasn't played out well. There are relationships that are, that are stretched to the breaking point. There are all kinds of troubled hearts. Um, last week, Luke painted for the, us this, this extraordinary scene as Jesus spent his last meal before the cross with those men closest to him, those 12 he had handpicked to be with him to carry on his work after he was taken from the world. They're still confused men. They don't understand yet, even at this point, uh, what kind of Savior he is. They're, they're going to in just three days when Jesus raises from the dead. But, but for that evening, as they celebrated the Passover meal, they didn't quite get it. And, and Jesus did, did a, a very extraordinary thing. He noticed there were dirty feet, and so he gets up from the table, he goes to the basin, and he begins washing the, the feet of his men, which was only done by the lowliest of servants. They didn't get it. They were astounded. Peter so much said, you know, I'm, you know no, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. And Jesus said, unless you let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. Meaning, until you know the humility that comes from being served, you'll never be a humble servant. And then, uh, he says some unsettling things. Now, remember when John is writing the biography of Jesus, there's no chapter and verse. He's just writing a continuation So there's no breaking point as we come to chapter 14 today. But we're still at the scene. They're still at the table. They're still at mealtime. And Jesus has said some things that are really, they're really, they're really struggling with. In verse 10 of chapter 13, he says, and you are clean, though not every one of you. Verse 31, one of you is going to betray me. Verse 33, I will be with you only a little longer. He also says, where I am going, you cannot follow now. Verse 38, before the rooster crows, Peter, you will disown me three times. And we sense, suddenly there's, there's this panic that sets in. What, is he, what, is he, what does he mean? 
I thought he was our leader. How could our, how could our leader be saying this? How, how's he going to save us with words like this? Why do, and why does he keep talking like this? This is not the first time he talked about leaving them. But every time he does, they're just they're so unsettled. And they're unsettled here. And he assures them by starting out saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust God. Trust also in me. Stay calm. You've seen the T-shirts and the buttons and the bumper stickers, right? Stay calm and whatever. That's what Jesus is saying to them, to, to, to be calm. Today, whatever your trouble is, whatever is troubling you, there is a place to take that. There is a person who walks with you through that if you have surrendered your life to him. Whatever that case is, you know, we, have, we preachers have, have wrongfully in the years said, you know, now we're here to worship, so let's leave all of our cares outside. No, that, that, that's not possible. We've said it, we've said it wrong. You know, of course we bring our troubles in here, and we bring them into the atmosphere of worship. And this is where we work them out. This is where we decide who will we allow to speak more clearly and direct us in our lives. Will it be our troubles, our circumstances, or will it be God himself and our relationship with him that determines how we will conduct our lives as a result of these troubles? So whatever might be troubling you today, here's what Jesus says. First of all, be calm by maintaining an eternal perspective. Verse 2, he says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, he, he talks about this place he's going to. He's, he's talking about a place with many rooms. The old King James Version says many mansions. Uh, <clears throat> he's saying here there's room for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are today. There is a place being has been prepared for you if you want to be there. I, I hope that you have good memories of a place called home. I realize there are a lot of pains in some families. And maybe when you think of home, it's not a very happy journey to take. But, but I want to guess that for most of us, we have happy memories of home. I remember when when, when I would go home, I'd go back to 4110 Phoenix Drive in Springfield, Ohio, and I have great memories of that home. <clears throat> and we moved there when I was in ninth grade. And uh, so, so that's where it takes me, my teen years especially. I changed high schools. My friendships changed. It was, it was, it was good, and I'd go home. And sometimes when I think of home, I think of 122 Bel Air in Springfield, Ohio. We, we, I grew up right off Route 40, National Road over in Ohio, and it was a little bungalow, and uh, we didn't have a whole lot, but we had, every, everything was satisfa satisfactory. I had good parents who loved me. It was a place of security, a place where I got, uh, got formed in Jesus, and so, you know, it's a good place. And then later, when my parents retired, and then they moved to a retirement home, Oakwood Village, you know, I still said, I'm going home. And then I realized when I go home, it's not really to a place, it's to people. It's to a person because wherever your family is, that's where home is. And so when we come together, we, we are celebrating that we have a home we're anticipating. But you know what? Why, what, makes us, what makes us glad that we came today when we walk? And even if you didn't want to come today, Maybe you haven't even surrendered to Christ, but I trust when you walk out, you know, that was, that was good. 
Why? Because God has chosen that in his people that have surrendered, this is a preview of what home is because home will be where God is, where Christ is, and where we're going to be together. And so this is a, just a preview, a dim preview, faint preview of what is yet to come. And I'm so thankful to God for that. Um, so it, it's, it's that in that that we find a, this eternal perspective. We're not, never abandoned in our troubles. We have someone with us. We also can be calm remembering Jesus is coming back. Now, I know that doesn't solve everything for today. I realize that. He says here, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Now, when I was a kid growing up, uh, first hearing this, I pictured Jesus hammering away that uh, there was a lot, of, a lot of work to be done. He's probably moving some mountains around, doing a new paint job, planting a garden, you know, getting this home ready. And Keith Green, who was a musician when I was growing up and very popular one, uh, agreed with me because he sang about God only taking six days to create the heavens and the earth. And for Jesus, he sang that it took 2,000 years. Well, he thinks he's hammering away too. So that's how I thought. It only reveals, of course, my silly, puny mind. The context is clearly announcing that it's by the cross, by his death, burial, and resurrection, that he is about to prepare a place for them. And that's how a place is prepared for us who, are, who have rebelled against God, who have sinned against God, who want to run live our own way, even in our goodness, even in our morality, and all our efforts to be a good citizen or a good parent or a good man. We're still flawed. We still sin. And, and we need someone to prepare a place for us that is qualified to do that. And only Jesus Christ, of course, is able to do that. And he wants every one of us to be there with him. What a God like that, who in spite of however dark moments you ever did in your life, whatever your actions were, however, how, how, how dark they were that you hope nobody ever finds out, nevertheless, God looks at you, he sees all that, and he says, I want you to be with me. That's the magnitude of God's love. And so, having prepared... We come together and we worship and we remember every week. It's for you. I hope you know that. This is for you. Not just you, plural. You personally, whoever you are here. God has your number. He knows your name and he knows your life. And he wants you for himself. Do you know newspapers have a, they have a, a font. I don't know what font you're used to using. I, I, Ariel, I'm an Ariel guy. I font. Ten. Ten pica. That's, or ten, yeah, point. Uh, uh, newspapers have an unusual font they use only on grand occasions. Uh, they used it uh, at the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and they used it um, when Kennedy was assassinated. They used it on 9-11. You know, it's that bold, large, like, this is major. This is earth-changing. You know what they call that font? Second coming. It, it, the, the, the greatest event yet to come even the newspapers, no matter who they are, they use second coming type, and it is for us because the Bible says over and over, and he's coming back. Hebrews 9.28 says he's coming back to save us, but in that time, not, not to redeem us from our sins, but to fully save us and not to judge us at that time, not to condemn us. He's coming to rescue us on that day. 
And on that day, not only will our souls be redeemed as they are now, we enjoy redemption now, but on that day, we'll have new bodies. So physically, we're going to be redeemed as well. We'll have new bodies that don't decay, don't get sick, aren't tempted, all that. That's yet to come. What a day that's going to be. So be, be, be calm by maintaining an, earnal, an eternal perspective, by remember Jesus is coming back. And, and third, by knowing the way home. Be calm by knowing the way home. Verse four, he says, you know the way to where I'm going. Now, from our perspective, it's easy to critique and to criticize the dullness of the disciples here, you know. Some of you are dull, right? I can tell by the way you're looking at me. Uh, I'm dull many times. When I read the scripture, when I study the scripture, I mean, I wrestle. I, I, I don't know the answer to everything. I don't know what exactly Jesus means there or what God says. I can take a stab at it. And there's times when I, I wrestle with Scripture just like you do. And, and so I, I, I like Thomas in this setting. Verse 5, he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? This question makes me think of those teachers who said to us, now there are no stupid questions. And we believed our teachers, we asked them, and they we were terribly uh, abused by our classmates. We were duped into thinking what she or he was saying was really true. There aren't stupid questions. Uh, but, but here, actually, Th Thomas, it does sound like a stupid question from our perspective. But really, all the disciples here are scratching their heads. Some of you remember Dr. Weedman when he was among us. Uh, Dr. Weedman uh, was a scholar, a member here. I was intimidated by him because of his knowledge, and he became president of Johnson University when he left us here, and we'd go to lunch, and I learned early on not to say much. <laughs> I mean, he, the, 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 he'd tell me the books he was reading or the paper he was writing. I didn't even understand the titles of the books, let alone, and so I learned early on to keep chewing and just nod my head, well, that's interesting, and go on, you know, not having a clue what he was saying. And I think that's, I, I think that's how, how Thomas is here. I think it's how the other disciples here. I mean, they, they are stunned by these words. of Jesus. They don't understand. They're so confused and, and driven by panic. It's the same thing Peter says in chapter 13, verse 36. Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you'll follow me later. Peter asked, well, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And, of course, he's going to a place that only Jesus himself can travel to by the way of the cross because he's the only unique person that's all God and all man, all woven together, all the same. Nobody is qualified to take care of their sin problem. And you might think today, if you're a really good person, well, how will I be different? How will I be different? Well, I don't know, but I do know this. Your position with God has changed when you surrender to him because before surrendering to Jesus, the Bible says, I'm not saying this, the Bible says you are lost and an orphan, no matter how good and how moral and upright you are. And so we need, we have sins we don't even know we've committed. Some of them are sins we've actually committed. Some of them are just sins because we haven't done what God has asked us to do, commanded us to do. And so our sins are plenty. And Jesus is qualified to stand in our place to take the punishment for us. And Jesus has told us what we have to do in order, in order to be with him and to know his presence in life. So Jesus said then in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father 
except through me. Now, that's one of the most quoted verses in all of Scripture, and it's a real game changer when you really land there. Conventional wisdom says that if someone gives you directions, you listen and you follow directions. Now, some of you are Gen Zers, and the rest of us used to have these large papers that folded up, and they were in our glove compartments in our cars. They were called maps, and we got them out, and we followed blue and red lines to where we wanted to go. So you Gen Zers, you, you would find it interesting, maybe. if you. The best thing of life today is Google Maps, isn't it? I mean, does it stun you? I'm still in the stunning stage where I actually tell her where I want to go, and she tells me. And not only does she tell me where to go, she goes with me. So that when I make a wrong turn, she reroutes to stay with me and get me back on track. Any of you made any wrong turns in your life? Did you ever make a wrong turn in your life, a decision? You can point back and say, man, if I hadn't made that one decision, my life could have been so different today for good or for bad, whatever it was. Whatever it is, in Jesus Christ, he promises to be with us. And we will try to change direction, go things our own way, and he will do his very best to get us back on track again. What a God of grace and mercy that is. Maybe today you're here and you've lost your way. Well, I tell you, he wants to reroute you back to the way of the cross because the way of the cross always leads you back to Jesus and the way home. And that's where we want to be. He says three things that provide the solid rock foundation for a life of security and a heart that is unshaken by this world that is being shaken to its core every day when we look at the news. He says, I'm the way. I am the way in order for people to be saved. Now, liberal theology says there's a lot of ways. There's a lot of ways to be saved, a lot of ways to God the Father. You hear it, it's popular, it's, it's common in our culture today. The way of nature, just be a really good environmentalist, you know, just be, uh, live, live a life of charity, just be kind, all of our posters say around town. You know, that that's the way to real life. Even religion will say, just do this, 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 do good things, do these rites and rituals, participate in these sacraments, and then you're good. But it's only a living relationship with Jesus Christ that we find the real way to life, a life that is meaningful. He says, I am the truth. He's the truth so that people can be sure you can be sure of where you stand. I can be sure where I stand. Aristotle once said, mind, as it came from its maker, is organized for truth, as the eye to perceive light and the ear to hear sounds. That, that's why so many people on their first reading of Scripture, especially the life of Jesus, the light bulb turns on. They get it. Why? Because the mind is wired for truth. And when it engages truth, if there's a desire of the heart to understand, now may not all the questions answered, may not be answered, all the pieces come together, but there, there, something resonates because this is the truth of God, the Scripture. And, and while we're here, did you know that just by the mere reading of Scripture, there is great change that happens, even if you don't understand it. The Center for Biblical Engagement uh, did a study, uh, either in 19 or 20, and they discovered some things they weren't looking to discover. 
But this is what they found. If people opened the Bible and read it one time a week, there was virtually no change. That means if you're, coming, if you're here today and this is, only, this is the only Bible you get, there will be no effective change in your life. If you gauge it another time during two times, there's no change. Third change, there's a blip on the radar that something may be happening. But it's when a person engages the Scripture, just reads it, four times a week, they saw numbers go off the chart as far as life change. I'm sorry I don't have all this on the screen. But here's what they found. Four times engaging the Bible a week, feelings of loneliness drop 30%. Anger issues drop 32%. Bitterness in relationships drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feelings of spiritual stagnancy. Been there? What are you doing in Scripture? It drops 60%. Viewing porn drops 61%. Sharing one's faith increases by 200%. That is just by engaging the Bible at least four times a week. So if you're not practicing, again, we engage our mind. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. Jesus is the revelation of God. Engaging him, listening to him, uh, inviting him in, paying attention to him impacts us. He says, I am the life. I think he says, I am the life that we can be strong because we need a source of strength. We need a source of someone. This life, the Greek word there is not about length of life. It's not about time. It's about quality. It's about quality of life. He has poured his life into ours by his Holy Spirit, leading us to a quality of life uh, not discovered in any other formula to discover love and peace and joy and contentment and quietness and everything else we need in the midst of troublesome circumstances of life. Now, we're, we are charged with being arrogant, you know, we are. Uh, but you, but it, in any other area of life, it doesn't play out that way. If you, if you find out you've got cancer and you go to a doctor, he says, well, I don't have my license yet. I'm still a resident you know, or I'm still in school, but I'd like to have a handle on your life. You know, I want to try. I want to do the surgery anyway. You think you're going to stick around? I don't think so. Or you're, you get up to, you go in the garage, your car's not working. You work at Lily. Let's pretend you're still going to the office, okay? And so you, you call an Uber. I got to get to Lily to work. Okay. So you go down 40. Well, I would have gone 70, but okay, we'll go down 40. Then he turns north on 465 and where I, I got to go to Lily. Yeah, I know, I know, we're getting there. Well, maybe he knows 70 is closed or something, so he's going to go another way. And then he gets on 65 north to, towards Chicago. Wow, what, what, what? I got to go to Lily, you didn't hear me? Yeah, but I just feel good. I feel, I feel like today this ought to go to Chicago. Well, he may, he's a nutcase, right? That's what we know. And as sincere as he is, that road doesn't go to Lily. There, there's nothing arrogant about our conviction. All we're saying is we believe wholeheartedly in the veracity, the reliability, the truth of the Holy Word of God. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so we are going to take this into life. He's the only one who is, who is the author 
of life and the one worth following. So let's go back for a moment. I mean, these words of Jesus, did they, mean, did they translate to life? There are troubled hearts and there are trusting hearts. And he's saying to them in this passage, are you going to trust me or not? Now, John the Apostle writes this biography of Jesus. We're studying his writings as he is inspired by the Holy Spirit all this year. Jesus, John is the best friend of Jesus. So we're walking with Jesus' best friend. The life of Jesus uh, will get done here soon. And then we'll go to his letters that he wrote after this. And then he wrote the book of Revelation, guided by God's Spirit. So later, when John writes his first letter, he, he tells us how well he landed in spite of that troubled night. He left us evidence. Are you troubled by guilt today in your life? John writes in 1 John 1.11, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's what happens when we are baptized into Jesus Christ. We are buried with him. We are lowered underwater in a grave saying, no more me, Satan. You have no more control. You have no more say in my life. You are not going to dictate to me how to live. You are not going to accuse me of my past sins anymore because of Jesus Christ who died in my place. That's what happens. So our guilt can be gone. Are you troubled by uncertainties you are facing? 217 says, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Are you troubled by loneliness? 415 says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. So it's not flesh and blood, but there is the promise that he's always with us. And when you take your last breath, you want to make sure of all, of all people in your life, you have hold of the hand of God. Because everybody else has got to let go. But he'll... His will be there in your worst times. Are you troubled by the fear of death? 4.8 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 5.11 says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is his son. Are you overcome? Are you troubled by just the pressures of the world today? 5.4 says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Staying rooted in the word of God will keep encouraging us so that our, our trusting hearts will not be overcome by our troubles. Will our troubles go away? Sometimes they will and sometimes they won't. But they don't have to dictate to us. Today, some of you may feel lost. Maybe you've lost your way. Maybe there was a time in your life when you really felt you were on the right path. Or maybe you've never been on the right path. And you're like that young boy we met a long time ago who ran away from home, taking his inheritance with him, and squandered it in all kinds of wrong decisions and wild behaviors until he found himself starving And what did he do? He thought of home. And he thought that maybe, maybe his father would welcome him back. And boy, did he. And they had a great celebration. Maybe you're still far away from home. Maybe there was a time when you were really in home and, and you look back today and, man, where did I take a wrong turn? And God's tried to reroute you, 
but uh, you still you keep you keep making wrong turns. Look, God is pursuing every one of us. He's calling us more deeply all the time to know Him more more deeply in a greater and more brilliant way. So let us help you get there. If you're lost today, would you help us? Maybe it's your first time to get to Jesus. Please, we, we love to do that. There was a young man in the first service. That's what happened when church was over. He found us. He said, I need Jesus. And we got to baptize him right then. And maybe that's you today. But for the majority of us, we're here because we know we've been so loved. And we have this cup right now that is so very valuable to us. It reminds us that without Jesus, we'll, we can't know the way. <laughs> and without, without him as truth, we will fall prey to all the lies of the evil one who speaks from every direction. And without him knowing as life, we'll never know what real life is all about. So every week we come back remembering him and, and, and these are, this is not about just looking back to that moment we were baptized into Jesus and we died to self. It's also about declaring that we believe he's coming back. So it's not only that we make a transaction with Jesus to get saved and then we're done. Jesus is the way not only to become saved, but to stay in a saving relationship with Jesus by continuing to follow him. And that's what we're saying. We're taking the cup. Not just thank you for saving me, but thank you that you're always going to be with me to the very end when I reach you and you say to me, well done, come on in. So let's be thankful together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so, so very much impoverished without you today. How foolish of us to ever make a decision, ever turn one direction or the other without consulting you, without seeking your wisdom and your insights. And Father, every one of us can give testimonies today of wrong turns, places when we've run ahead of you, times when we've disobeyed you, we've made wrong decisions, and pains have been ushered into our lives because of it. But praise God, Father, we don't have to stay there because there's, there's someone who has died in our place, Jesus Christ, who we remember right now and we're so thankful for. Thank you, thank you, thank you for sending him to rescue us and to lead us home. And so for the blood of Jesus poured out for us for our sins, we thank you. For the bruised and beaten and whipped and broken body, we thank you. That you allowed him to take all the punishment in our place that we may have life today. May God be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. It's our desire to help you grow as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church, would like to attend an online service, or plan an in-person visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you'd like to receive our podcast directly to your device, we encourage you to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.